From the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University, this is Writer's Talk. I'm Doug Dangler. Today, we have a three-part show with author Kate Hayes telling OSU student Erin Riley Sanders about her book, All About Poop. Then, Dr. Jason Karp describes what it takes to finish a Ph.D. with OSU student Carolyn Ellerding. Finally, Will Tracy from The Onion drops by to describe the uses of The Onion Book of Known Knowledge during the coming apocalypse. Stay tuned. I'm Erin Riley Sanders. An award-winning blogger, Kate Hayes, has just authored her first picture book, All About Poop, with illustrations by Brenna Vaughn. Hayes' blog, adventuresinparenting.me, focuses on her life as a wife and mother of two as a faith journey while juggling a professional career in television and broadcasting. She now works in public relations and marketing. Your picture book, All About Poop, just hit bookstore shelves with some info on the big number two for kids ages four to eight. Tell us about it and your inspiration for writing such a dirty story. <laughs> well, uh, my inspiration was my own kids, as, as you might imagine. Um, I had a son at the time who was two, and he was absolutely obsessed with poop. And I couldn't find any good books about it that explained what it was and answered all the questions that he had in a way that he could understand. So I just decided, why not write one? It seems that there's been several recent books about poop. What makes your book stand out from the crowd? Well, I could not find, I have not yet seen another book that specifically answers what poop is, how our bodies make it, um, you know, all the questions that kids have. My son also is very curious about where does it go after we flush it? You know, where's the mm-hmm. magical place that all the poops go? Um, so this book does all of that, answers all those questions, but in a way that young kids can understand. So we try to make it simple, we try to make it fun, it rhymes. So I haven't seen anything else like that on the market. Why do you think that poop has recently become such a popular topic? Well, I don't know if it's recently such a popular topic. I think it's always just a popular topic. I think maybe now as culture goes a certain way, it's becoming more socially acceptable to talk about it in public. But, um, you know, as parents, we've always gotten those questions. I'm sure that, you know, even a hundred years ago, the kids were asking embarrassing questions about poop in the middle of church. You know, like it, it happens. And so let's educate them a little bit more and tell them what it is, get them interested in the fact that it's science and maybe use that um, interest to bridge into other aspects of science. So we, we tried to do that as well. In All About Poop, you keep the text almost completely in rhyme. Can you tell us about some of the advantages and limitations of writing an informational book in rhyme? Well, for me, it's um, it was fun. I I have always I'm a, a writer by trade, so I, I write professionally. I used to be a TV journalist, so you know I'm used to explaining information. Uh, on a simple level. But at the same time, I've always wanted to write children's books. I just think it's more fun to write in rhyme. And I think it's more fun to read in rhyme to my kids, which, you know, we do every night. I like the books. I like the Dr. Seuss's, you know. I like the books that have a nice sing-song cadence and they're easy to read. And I think that helps to get the kids to keep their interest longer. So I just, I don't know, it wasn't like a conscious decision. It just came out that way as I was writing the book. What were some of the most difficult words to find rhymes for? Oh, that's a good question. Um, You know, it wasn't necessarily the words. It's just trying to arrange the words in a way that Mm -hmm. um, I remember trying to figure out how to explain what was left after the, you know, food goes (laughs) through the intestines. And 
um, trying to explain how the large intestine slurps all the water away. You know, I kept trying to rhyme with water, and finally I had to rearrange those words so that I could rhyme, slurps all the water away, so, you know, it looks less like mush and more like brown clay. So that worked, you know, you just have Mm -hmm. to play around with it like that. Well, what kind of research did you need to do to get the scoop on poop? <laughs> um, there's a, surprisingly, there's a lot of good poop info out there on the Internet now. So, that, you know, just kind of searching all the scientific websites. And I didn't have to get really deep into it to explain the basics on a preschool level. So that was good. Um, but, you know, I didn't do my research. We looked at some, I looked at some fun uh, poop facts that are at the end of the book, kind of a funny little section on things you didn't know, you know, about animal poop and, and things like that. But it's it's easy to find good info on the Internet these days. As your first picture book, can you tell us about your experience writing all about poop and then about getting it published? Well, I have written, honestly, many manuscripts before. I think probably any children's book author will tell you that they've submitted many things before they actually got published. And that's the case for me. Also, um, this particular book, I I probably actually spent less time writing than most of the other books I've written simply because I was so determined to write this for my son more than anything. I just wanted to give him good answers. And, and then I submitted it to the publisher, Pinwheel Books, based in Boston. And in that case, the publisher emailed me like that night and said, I love this book. I can't stop laughing. It's hilarious. We've got to publish this. So that was amazing. Like that just, it doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. What types of other things do you usually write? Well, I work, um, I work in marketing now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I work for a very big company and you cover all kinds of marketing materials. You write all their promotional stuff and communications internally. But, um, you know, before that, I was a TV news journalist for five years. So everything you can imagine, um, but poop, probably, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, all the, the major news stories of the day. Uh, same concept, you know, complicated stuff, short amount of time, you got to turn it around and, and make it uh, interesting and easy to understand for the public. So that's good background for writing children's books, really. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Do you write for fun as well? I do. Actually, I have a blog um, called adventuresandparenting.me, M-E. And yeah, I write about, I've, I've kept that blog for years and it's just for fun. Just writing about the, the business of raising kids and being a working mom and, you know, travel. We like to travel a lot. So traveling with kids and children's books, you know, the things that I'm pretty excited about in my life. That's what I tend to write about. What do you think you might write about next? You know, I've gotten all kinds of suggestions <laughs> since the poop <laughs> book came out. So I, I'm debating whether I really want to be known as the bodily fluids author. But, um, you know, there could be a sequel to the poop book in the works. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, all kinds of other stories that I'm always working on. Just I tend to write about things that I'm inspired by with my kids, you know, mm-hmm. things that they're interested in or, you know, just little things that they say might prompt me to, you know, write a little story or, yeah, it's just being a parent has really helped with the, the inspiration level for being a kid's book writer. Mm-hmm. Since your family is so Im- important to your writing, how did they support this literary endeavor? Were they good test subjects for your text? Oh, yeah, they're awesome. Um, 
I read, yeah, I use my kids as guinea pigs all the time. They are fun and they give me instant feedback. You know, my daughter's seven now, so she's pretty honest about uh, when something maybe isn't as funny as I think it is. So, um, and, you know, they're there. They were there the, the first reading, you know, cheering me on. There's, they're very proud, despite the fact that it's a book about poop. So, you know, kudos to my husband, who's actually a scientist, for, you know, spreading the word about this poop book that his wife has written, because uh, God love him. I'm sure that can be a little awkward at times, but yeah, they're very supportive. Well, it's really great to, to have that resource there. When you talk yeah. about different names for poo, like doo-doo or caca or toilet bowl stew, the narrator mentions that his dad calls it dropping the kids at the pool. Did your dad or another family member inspire your use of this idiom? Um, yeah, I, I hear that all the time. So that was I, just something that, I mean, we've always joked with our kids about that one, you know, dropping the kids off at the pool. It's just, you know, I hear a lot of people say it, so... We think it's funny at our house, and I'm sure that every family has their own favorite euphemisms, but I tried to work some of those into the book just to enforce the fact that, you know, it's it's natural, it's something that happens to all of us, and it's okay to giggle about it, you know. It's just part of life, so let's accept it, let's understand it, and, you know, let's teach our kids in a way that is fun and, and not a lot of pressure for them, too. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that you read many books with your children. Would you say that All About Poop makes a good bedtime read, or is it better maybe for another time of day? Um, I think it'd be a great bedtime read. I think personally the best bedtime reads from a parent's perspective are, you know, short and sweet and to the point. You know, let's get a few giggles in. Let's, you know, I, the ones that drag on and on and on to me are not ideal for bedtime because usually we're all, you know, in a hurry. We're we're busy. We have busy lives. So a couple short books is what we like to do in our house. And I think this is ideal for that. Mm -hmm. And not to smear any other titles by association, but do you have any favorite books to read along with All About Poop? Well, when my daughter, who's seven, was little, her, her, one of her favorite books was Everyone Poops. I've, honestly, I've had that book since I was in college, long before I had kids. So I am definitely not knocking that one. I think it's a poop classic. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of families have it. What it was lacking for my son was more of the detailed information. I mean, he wanted, what, is it, what does our body look like on the inside? How does the digestive system work, you mm-hmm. know? And, and all about uh, everyone poops just you know doesn't really explain the details. So that's a good starter book. But then you want to bridge into all about poop for more of that information and you know to help them. And also we talk about the hand hygiene and germs and poop mm-hmm. etiquette, like don't be a potty mouth. So all good things that you want to bridge to after that you know intro book. Um, everyone poops. <laughs> well, it sounds like your book is in good company. Yeah. Last question I have to ask you is, how much fun is it to be able to talk about poop in public places? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it depends on the situation, right? Um, Sometimes it can be awfully mortifying as parents, depending on where we're at. You know, the other day we were at a fairly quiet restaurant and my son loudly announced to everyone that he had just had a splatter poop. So uh, (laughs) that's just 
you know, cringeworthy conversations, but it is it is fun to be able to talk about it in the right place at the right time when they have the right information and to be able to educate them as they're potty training and, you know, motivate them because it's so it's so much fun and exciting when they get it done right. So also, it's fun to, uh, you know, like I said before, bridge on that interest and get them interested in other areas of science. So mm-hmm. we do have also a free parent and educator's guide that people can download from the Pinwheel Books website that they can take it into the classroom and use that to teach some science along with it. That's great to know about. Well, it's been a lot of fun to have the opportunity to talk with you about poop. So thank you, Kate Hayes, for taking the time to share all about poop. Thanks, Erin. I appreciate you guys having me here. From The Ohio State University, this is Erin Riley Sanders for Writer's Talk. More information about our guests can be found at www.writerstalk.org. I'm Carolyn Ellerding. Our guest today is Dr. Jason Karp, the author of How to Survive Your Ph.D., A Guide to Choosing and Completing Doctoral Study. He is a scientist who has published several books, articles, and videos on running and fitness, and he is a noted motivational speaker, an entrepreneur, a coach, and a personal trainer. Currently, he teaches dissertation writing at the University of California at San Diego. Dr. Karp, welcome to Writer's Talk. Oh, thank you for having me. I have so many questions to ask you, but I think I'll start with this one. There are many guides to graduate study and dissertation writing available, even several that are designed for readers in scientific disciplines. Why did you write this particular book at this particular time? In other words, what sets it apart from the others? Uh, Well, basically, I wanted to give graduate students advice that I wasn't given. And there's a lot of things that are involved in the Ph.D. process that you're not going to receive in other books. Things like the choices that you make, how to choose your advisor and committee members, how to work with different personalities, how to navigate through the process. That was all the detail that I wanted to include in the book that you don't get in other books. Other books will talk more about you know, the process of doing research and writing the dissertation, but they don't get into the small details about what it takes to really navigate through the process, what are the tricks of the trade, so to speak, how to spend, you know, manage yourself and spend your time wisely so that you get everything done you need to get done because graduate students are often very overwhelmed. They have a lot on their plate all the time. So I really wanted to give a very honest look at what the Ph.D. process entails and what a graduate student has to do to navigate it more easily so they're not frustrated and stressed out and it doesn't take them 10 years to do it. Even in your sections of your book that deal specifically with writing, you actually focus quite a bit on other aspects of graduate student life as if there's really no way of separating writing from life in general. How do you think that writing should fit into the life of a graduate student, ideally? Well, it's very important because obviously when you, uh, the goal of PhD programs is to prepare students for research and, and the writing and dissemination of that is part and parcel of being a graduate student and then going on to becoming a faculty member. And so that's one thing I talk about in the book that most doctoral programs don't spend enough time on the writing aspect and teaching students how to write, even though that's going to be a big part of what their job is going to be once they get out of school and become a faculty member someplace. So a graduate student has to think of him or herself as a writer and integrate that into their daily life and and all of the other work that they're doing, because that's part of doing research. 
Has your experience as an athlete influenced your writing process at all? Oh, that's always been huge, and I always tell people that every aspect of my life is influenced by my running. I've been a runner since sixth grade, and so uh, the the obvious answer to the question is in the form of discipline, just like it requires a lot of discipline and devotion to running to be a good runner, it requires the same discipline and devotion to writing to be a good writer. You mentioned that you went running every day as a doctoral student. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's uh, The running has been consistent throughout my life. So no matter how many times my life has changed, the circumstances have changed, my living environment has changed, I'm still running every day. So all through my Ph.D., I was still running every day. That didn't change. Well, I've always felt that being a runner helps me in other areas of my life because it forces you to compartmentalize your day and be more disciplined because you know this is the time of day that you're going to go and exercise. This is the time of day you're going to go and work on your dissertation. This is the time of day you're going to grade students' papers. And so by running or any other form of exercise that people like to do, it helps you manage your day better because now you have to make appointments with yourself to do these different things. You started writing professionally as an undergraduate, I believe? Uh, more as a, uh, well, post-master's degree. I had three years off between my master's and Ph.D., and that was when I pretty much started writing professionally. I mean, it was always something that I knew I was good at, and uh, I have a little bit of writing in my family. I joke around that uh, I inherited my writing talent from my twin brother. He's a playwright in New York. His name is Jack. Jack Carp? So yeah, Jack Carp. So if anyone's in New York and wants to go see some great plays, look up my brother's work. How does a dissertation in the humanities, history for example, differ from one in molecular biology? Oh, that's a good question. It differs quite a bit. In in this one way, scientists have it easier because scientific dissertations are very formulaic. And there's specific headings for all the chapters, and so it's all laid out beforehand. In the humanities subjects like history and others, it's more free form. The student is going to have to decide what the chapters are going to be, and it's not as structured as scientific dissertations. So that makes it a little bit more challenging and requires that the students have a greater sense of, of being a writer and of the writing as a skill in order to put that all together. Whereas for the scientific dissertations, because it's basically all laid out beforehand, it makes it easier for the student. You know that chapter one is always going to be the introduction. And then you have the literature review and the methods section, the results and the discussion. Every single scientific dissertation has all of those parts to it. And all of those parts are written in a very particular way. I talk about that a lot in the book, too, and give examples for exactly how to write those scientific dissertations. But for the humanities students, they may very well have to spend more time because they also not only have to do the writing of the dissertation and write their research, but they have to think about the outline at the outset of it. They have to think about how am I going to structure this dissertation? What's chapter one going to be? What's chapter two going to be? Whereas the scientific student already has that laid out beforehand because all scientific dissertations conform to that. Within those sections, especially like within the introduction, you have room to be more creative in just the way you articulate things. I mean, one thing that has always, I guess, bothered me about scientific writing you read all these journal articles, and they all sound the same. They all sound like they could have all been written by the same person. 
and I always try to bring a little bit more flair and more of my personality into my writing. So you can still have it conform to science and the way science is written, but there is still room for creativity in the way you articulate things, sure. Yeah, that reminds me of one of my favorite moments in your book, which was actually when you compare scientific writing to a murder mystery in which uh, the solution to the mystery is revealed at the very beginning of the story exactly. instead exactly. of at the end. I, I think those examples that you provided were really helpful, too. You provided examples of various sections of a scientific dissertation, and then you provided a critique. Exactly. Yeah, the other books will discuss how to go about preparing your notes and all of that, but they don't give very specific guidelines about, well, this is how you write the results section. This is how you write the methods section. So, yeah, I think that's extremely helpful for students because the dissertation is uh, uh, the, probably the biggest stressor for most doctoral students because they don't have a handle on the writing aspect itself. What sorts of applications might there be in other professions for the experience of writing a dissertation? Well, I think uh, nowadays it's probably more useful than it used to be because of the explosion of the Internet and all of the marketing and things that are done on the Internet. So you know, everybody who has a website needs to know how to write because something's got to be written on that website. So writing ability is becoming even more important now than probably ever before because we're so flooded with information. Somebody has to write that information. So that's why I think it's helpful for doctoral students to actually study writing, which is something that's not given to them in most doctoral programs. What is the future of dissertation writing? Well, that's a good question because I think that there's a lot of history and tradition in this. And so, at least from the scientific dissertation standpoint, I think the future is the same as the past. Most committee members are very strict in that dissertations have to conform to everything that came before it. Having said that, there is uh, a little bit of a twist in that, that some doctoral programs require students to have finished papers that they're going to submit for publication. So you have the traditional dissertation that has like the one introduction, the one method section, and literature review, and results and discussion. But then you have this more of a hybrid form dissertation where you have the individual papers that are going to come out of the dissertation that are going to be submitted for publication. And so you almost have like a compilation of individual papers, and then together it makes up the whole dissertation. But individually, they're separate papers that will be submitted to different journals. And as for writing for fitness magazines... Do you see that world changing or evolving at this time? Yeah, that changes a lot based on the new trends in the fitness industry. And so that's magazine writing is very interesting to write for because you always have to be on the cutting edge of what's new and flashy because you know people like gimmicks and they like new kinds of exercises and, and new twists on old exercises. So that's constantly evolving, constantly changing. What would you say is the worst part of being a writer? Uh, the stress. <laughs> you know, I mean, it depends on how hard you are on yourself. I mean, a lot of people will just, you know, write something and, and they're done with it and they can let it go. But just like any other craft, 
you know, it's a form of art, and if you care about that work of art, then you can't let it go, and it's always bothering you. You always want to say something better. You want to be more eloquent, and so you're always trying to look for the best way to express yourself. And so you go through lots of revisions, and sometimes it takes a long time to write one page because you're constantly revising and editing that page. Is there anything that you wish you had known when you started out as a writer? Oh, there's lots of things. <laughs> uh, number first is uh, you know how to go about querying editors at magazines. You know, I used to write whole articles because I thought that's what you had to do. I kind of learned things the hard way. And I just thought, you know, I just did what I thought needed to be done. But then I realized going through the process that uh, there's a method to doing that too. And so, you know, if you're writing for a magazine, well, editors don't want to get flooded by freelance writers with all of, you know, full-length articles. They just want uh, an outline of what that article is going to be. You want to share their vision. You want to share your vision with them, but not necessarily write out the whole article because, that's going to change, too, based on the requirements they have, the space that they have in the magazine to fit it in. Thank you for sharing your experience and advice with us, Dr. Karp. Thanks for being with me today on Writer's Talk at Ohio State. Thank you very much. The title of the book, once again, is How to Survive Your Ph.D. by Dr. Jason Karp. I'm Carolyn Ellerding for Writer's Talk. Will Tracy, you are the editor for the new book, The Onion Book of Known Knowledge. Tell me how you got all of that knowledge into one volume. Well, you know, it basically, we cut out anything extraneous. So the book only right. contains uh, all the information in the world. Uh, anything that exists is in the book. And anything that doesn't exist is not in the book. So we just cut out all that stuff. Okay. Do you have plans for the book of unknown knowledge later on, the things that you didn't know? Uh, so all the things that don't exist, yes, but uh, that, that book probably won't be coming out until sometime in late 2083, so just wait for that. So you've got your book schedules planned out to 2083 then? Yes, we plan everything out through the next uh, uh, 200 years, even through the apocalypse, which is happening in about five or six years. Oh, five or six years, good. Yeah. Good to know that. Tell me how you got started on your editorial work for The Onion. Well, I started uh, originally as an intern here in 2006, I believe, and I just sort of kind of progressively murdered people all the way to my all the way to the top. Um, so I probably murdered about 20 or 30 people. Well, that's one way to get to the top. Uh, that's not something that's practiced uh, constantly at the Onion, or is that something that you're actually worried about? The, uh, I mean, I certainly doing... pioneered. I've been the most prolific in terms of that. Uh, uh-huh. It's something that is, happens pretty regularly around here, and, and a lot of other media organizations don't practice murder, which is you know unfortunate for them because it really is the most efficient method of getting anything done. Right, yeah. Well, I've seen that practice in other areas. I noticed that sure. uh, you have Robert Mugabe as one of the editors. Yeah, our editorial board. Yeah, we're, there, are, there are about eight editors for the book. And uh, yes, Robert Mugabe, um, the dictator, is, is one of our editors. Uh, very talented, very smart, very perceptive, and a great leader also as well. I, I, I took a lot of kind of leadership advice for him, just in terms of how to keep it, people in line, how to uh, disseminate uh, information or disinformation about whatever campaign I'm working on. Right. What was 
one of your most memorable entries or perhaps one that you got to work on in creating the book of known knowledge. Tell me about that. Uh, well, just I'm looking at the book now. I can just turn really every single entry in the book is, is another masterpiece. But um, just looking at one right now on page 61, we have an entry on uh, uh, Amelia Earhart. Uh, and the definition for Amelia Earhart in our encyclopedia is, uh, Amelia Earhart, comma, noted American lady pilot who became the first lady to cross the Atlantic Ocean by her lady self. Uh, in 1937, after writing a best-selling lady book about her experiences, Earhart's lady crashed her lady plane while attempting to circ- circumnavigate the globe. So it's stuff like this that um, we really give you a glimpse into, into history, into science and the natural world, uh, into entertainment and culture. Um, again, anything you would ever need to know is in the book. And it's really the only book you'll ever need to own. Well, there are other books by the Onion that's not going to cut into their sales saying that you no longer need any of these or you shouldn't buy any other Onion books that are coming out? Well, I'm assuming that one that I'm assuming and saying that that everyone in the country, if not the world, already owns every previous volume ever published by the Onion. So um, they should already have those and it would be foolish if they didn't. Um, But this new book, you should probably buy uh, at least 200 copies of it. Um, there should be one uh, one to ten copies in every room of your home. Okay. What all can we expect to be doing with the copies besides reading them? If we have one to ten copies in each room, is there some of a form of furniture that you recommend to be made they're, out of the They're books? useful for that. They're useful for, yeah, for, for, for sitting on. They're useful for um, beating other people or animals with. Um, they're, they're really a, a very useful device. And then after that apocalypse that happens in five or six years, they will be useful as a source of fuel. You can burn them, uh, and they can be useful in, in fires and so forth. Right, but not pre-apocalyptic. We want to be clear that people are, are aware of that. Yes, in, until, until our in, entire economy and society crashes in, in five years from now, you should use the book as you would use any other book. Um, only, only, of course, you shouldn't own any other books. You should get right. rid of all your other books and only own, own this book. Burn those first. Well, Will yeah. Tracy from The Onion Book of Known Knowledge, thank you very much for talking to us today. Well, thank you for having me on. More information about Writer's Talk guests can be found at www.writerstalk.org. Join me next time for CEO of Wexner Medical Center, Dr. Stephen Gabby, discussing his writing and which songwriter he'd like to meet. Until then, this is Doug Dangler. Keep writing. Keep writing.